Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler, and this week I'm joined by just an absolutely wonderful guy, Randy Gardner. Randy was the figure skating partner of Thai Babylonia back in the 1970s when they were competing as amateurs. They won a slew of U.S. championships together. They won a world championship, and they were poised to win a medal in the 1980 Winter Olympics until a mishap happened. Randy talks about that, and he also talks about uh, a one-man show that he has, a one-man stage show, as well as a documentary film about his life. Randy's life is full of incredible stories. From learning at a very late age that he was adopted and finding his mom, uh, conversion therapy in the 1970s, uh, being one half of a figure skating duo, Winter Olympics, and so many more things. I went into this wanting to talk about a couple of things, and the conversation just took me in so many different directions. Every time Randy shares a story, I have a hundred other questions. Don't worry, the episode only lasts a little over a half hour. Anyhow, here's my conversation with Olympic figure skater Randy Gardner. Well, I'm thrilled to be joined now by uh, a really wonderful guy I met a few years ago at, I believe it was a gay games event here in Los Angeles, uh, Olympic figure skater extraordinaire, Randy Gardner. Randy, it was at a gay games event we met, right? It was, yeah, the French consulate. And that was for the gay games coming up in Paris. And it was held at the um, consulate here in Los Angeles. And and they never figured out how to get you there to be a judge, which was so disappointing. But Well, we tried. We tried. The timing was kind of awkward. But I really want to, I'd love to participate as a judge sometime in those. I think it would be great. Um, ha, do you judge figure skating competitions now? You know, I, I used to. Uh, when, the, when the figure skating judging system changed to what we call IJS after the 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Games, they brought in a new system. And part of that was called technical specialist. And... They're the ones that judge specifically the technical aspect of figure skating. And they were calling upon uh, skaters that are retired or currently skating to do that. And I went and trained and I did it for about three years. And so I was one of the first technical specialists that came in to the fold when they did the new system. And it was just great. And I, and I do think, I do think it's changed, you know, for the better for our, judging and figure skating and i think it's part of it is because of that well for for people who don't know in the 2006 winter olympics there was a huge scoring scandal and and they and they changed it to be a little tried to make it a little more objective and a little more subject a little less subjective is is that about sums it up well it does and what the technical panel did is you, you did what we call called the, the technical elements, and specifically jumps and spins for singles, lifts, all the twists and throws, and we definitely defined what they were. And so there was no question about it. And we would give them levels, meaning one, two, three, or four, uh, for being the best. And there, it was pretty black and white. It still is. And it 
it really defines what the skater did, whether it was a triple lutz or a triple flip or a throw quad and pairs. It definitely, when it, it goes into a computer and they have cameras now so they can go back and review things to double check if there was any question. There's instant replay in figure skating is what you're telling me. It's instant replay. Absolutely. Well, back when you were skating um, in the 70s and the 80s, just going into a competition mentally, was the judging, how much, I guess it had to have been on your mind, but how much was it on your mind and how much, because it was more subjective, how much of what you did was, was a little bit of politicking? Well, it, I still believe that the, the best skater won, believe it or not. It was close, and it was uh, questionable sometimes. But back then, um, it, was, it was East versus West, which primarily was Russia and East Germany and the countries that were involved in that iron block over there with the West, which was Canada, U.S., uh, West Germany, England, um, you, know, all, uh, you know, pretty much covering the North American and Western Europe countries. So it was a rivalry between East and West. And <clears throat> I think politics was there because of country politics, I, I think, in a lot of ways. And Russia was so strong and U.S. was strong and everyone was trying to get a heads up or a lead whether it's training or technique or or any of that stuff and what we found out now as we know is you know, the drug doping is huge now and they're busting they're still busting their russian athletes and we ty and i would look at each other and go how do those little girls keep up with their they were like 18 19 how do they keep up with their 26 year old male partners and now we kind of know. And those little girls had mustaches. So, uh, in fact, in my, in my play, I, I mentioned that. They'd come in for a year, maybe two, then they'd be gone. And a new girl would come in with that same male partner. And they would just funnel them through and cycle them through so quickly. And, um, you know, and, and the detection in drug doping was a lot. It was harder to detect that. And, and I think even today, the, the, the doping and the drug use is ahead of the testing, and eventually the testing catches up. Um, but to get back to the subject, I think um, we, it was incredible. We would do certain exhibitions or competitions in certain countries like Germany or England, and we didn't know it, but our coach did, and U.S. figure skating knew. We were doing that to kind of get in favor of those countries. And I'll tell you, Sid, sure enough, when those marks came up, we'd get that 5-9 or 6-0 from those countries that we were partnering with. Oh, wow. And it was pretty incredible. And it really sort of just sealed the deal in case they were wavering back and forth. Should, it, should we give it to Ty and Randy or should we give it to Rodina Zaitsev? The Western judges would give it to us if, if it were close. So that's right. kind of how that worked. Uh, yeah. It was very interesting. Now, we had to skate it. I mean, if we flopped all over the place, it didn't work so well. But if it was close, it would, they'd sort of shade our way. 
Well, you, you have uh, a, a documentary film uh, coming up called Go Figure the Randy Gardner Story. And I, I, I know that you did some um, crowdsourcing and, uh, and, and were able to get the, the, the money to finish the film, kind of what I think is great that, you know, far too often um, we forget about the people who came in the past, you know, and, and forget the athletes from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and kids today, you know, they're like, Randy who? And it's, I just yeah, think sure. it's awesome yeah. that, that you got such great um, response from people to support the production of your film. So just kind of t tell us a little bit about what, what the film is. Well, I, I did a play and I'm still doing it. I have some dates coming up, but it's, it's a one person play called Go Figure the Randy Gardner Story. And from that, we kicked off a documentary film and it's pretty much, it's, it's, you know, my story, but it does, as you say, it, it covers Olympic figure skating and even other sports during the Cold War years, you know, late 60s into the 70s when we were at our height in competing. So it, it, it touches base uh, with that era, but it also touches base with sexuality, um, you know, uh, men, women being gay, then why we didn't come out or couldn't come out. So we, we touch based on that, but it, um, you know, I reveal a lot of stuff. Like I was adopted, which I didn't know till age 40. And I did a search for my birth mom and found her. And she revealed a, lo a lot to me. I, I was a product of a rape. And so I was adopted and I, my parents, my adoptive parents never told me. And they, I, I found out while my dad was already passed, but my mom was still alive. I found out while she was still alive, but I didn't uh, mention anything to her because I felt she was older. She was in her eighties and there was probably a reason why they didn't tell me. I didn't want to upset her. And, and I do think that uh, it was in 1957. So a lot of that, a lot, a lot of kids were told when they were adopted during that time, but I wasn't. And I don't know if there was shame around it or what, but, uh, I did find out and I confirmed everything with, through my birth mom and we now have a relationship and I, and you know what? I finally looked like somebody. <laughs> I never really looked. Yeah. I never looked, I never looked or really acted like anybody in, in my family. And now I do. And I kind of feel like, wow, this is where I came from. And, and, and it, you know, it's so popular now finding your roots with ancestry and, 23 and me and all that and it's um just seemed to be relevant so a lot of that's in the in the play which is also in in the film yeah the film the film goes through a, a lot of stuff the different eras and uh interviewing different people and family members and um i had to, i did a bout with reparative therapy which was interesting but you know sid i didn't i didn't buy it i, I my, my parents sent me there um and it was more, it wasn't a religious-based uh, program, but I think they did it. I don't know if they were embarrassed or maybe How they were trying. Was I was uh, late teens, you know, 19, 20, 21, around there. And I would just sit there and I would say, yeah, yeah, I'll try this. I'll try that. And, you know, um, I didn't really have to go through a lot of the techniques. I did it for a summer. And I'm going to say it was probably four to six weeks. And 
it was intense in that, uh, you know, you think, God, is there, is there something, do I have a glitch? Is there something wrong with me? And it was that constant fight of, uh, I know who I am, and I feel pretty good about it, even though I was still somewhat in the closet, but I wasn't going, I, I couldn't take the leap to even try to be straight. It, it was ridiculous. And I feel lucky because I made it through, and a lot of guys and gals have not. And um, that's, the, that's the bad, that's the really, really bad news about that whole program. And thankfully, now, States are banning that kind of practice, so, so, which, is, so, which is so important. So you're in your late teens. You're on the world yeah. stage of your sport. You're winning national championships, and your and your parents still have power over you. They they can still coax or push you into going to this reparative therapy. Was it? I mean, was yeah. were you strong armed, or, or or were you doing it? Um, were you doing it in actual? Hopefully, I can be changed. Or what was what was your mental? I, I wasn't doing it because because I, I I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be changed. I think I was doing it to please them, to keep them quiet, make them happy, get off my back because I was only thinking about skating. Um, you know, ties in my career, skating together, and you know. Um, I was just trying to keep everyone quiet. So, at the end of the the process, you said you went through it for a summer. Did you did you say, "Oh, mom and dad, I'm I'm fixed"? I did. I said I got told <laughs> in the play in the movie. I I throw my hands up and I can I say I told to 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 the therapist. I said I'm repaired, and I walked <laughs> out of that place. I just wanted them. You know, I, I just wanted everybody to think. I just wanted to get it done with. You know, and um, didn't work thankfully. And I don't have any sort of, I don't think I have any mental instability because of it. Cause I kind of knew who I was and yeah, no, I just wanted to get on with it. And I kept quiet about my sexuality, which sort of was a safe place for me. And, you know, I was not, I think back when I was younger, I was not that strong of a person other than I could skate and I could do athletics and I could, focus and be a really good athlete and champion but that covered up so much more of my personality which at the time was comfortable all i had to do was skate win competitions be a good person fulfill my obligations and then uh, it seemed like everything was fulfilled were were you actually dating other men at the time? I mean, this is this is the the mid seventies. Uh, this is even even before the AIDS epidemic, right? Now, d d dating dating no. Was I hanging out with friends? Yes. Um, was I getting intimate with, with people? Yes. But nothing. It was all sort of undercover, of course, in the closet. And um, I was young still. I was still. I was still in my late teens, and um, then when we turned professional in 1980, I was 22, and uh, by the way, this is 40 years of professional skating that wow. we're celebrating right now, yeah, and um, then I could come out, it was easier, we were on the rope with ice to page, you know, I was more sort of in the real world, and it, I felt it was... I felt more comfortable. 
and it just felt like everything was a little more acceptable at that point in my life. Well, everybody, hang tight. Um, we're just going to do a couple of quick commercial messages and then more back. I have about a thousand more questions for Randy that I'm going to try to fit in as fast as possible. Um, uh, just awesome talking to you, Randy. But anyhow, everybody hang tight. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with figure skater Randy Gardner. So, Randy, you're, you're, you're exploring your sexuality. Parents put you into reparative therapy. You come out of it. Uh, <laughs> not uh, quote-unquote repaired. All along, the public sees you with a woman, Ty Babylonia, your partner. Did people take that and just kind of assume that you must be straight and that you and Ty were dating? I think absolutely. You know, it was pair skating, a male and a female, and it was very, it was romantic, and it was strong, and it was it looked like a relationship. I, I think people just assumed that. Um, of course, it wasn't the case. But, um, yeah, we, you know, people thought we were married, people, or, or a couple, and then they didn't. <laughs> Excuse me. And, um, you know, because then I started to come out gradually and slowly and just more casually and sort of more organically. But, um, and, you know, I, I think maybe people wanted us to be a couple, to be honest. It just looked good and felt good for. I well, sure, you. I mean, you were representing you were representing the United States on the international stage. Uh, you are at the very top of your sport. Uh, you're a man and a woman, and and there's uh, people I just think just have kind of a, a fantasy that this is you know you're representing um, American families and and you know I don't think people think America's straightness, but I think that I think there is that fantasy that the, the, the people rep this couple representing America is a real couple. Well, yeah, you know, I like that word. Yeah. Fantasy. I think it probably was a fantasy for them. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't out and I guess people just assumed it and it was fine. You know, I wouldn't recommend it to kids now. I, cause I, cause, cause I'm a big advocate for kids to come out of they feel like, and then I support youth and, all those different different programs and, and communities, um, but I do think uh, it's up to a person, especially an athlete, to come out when they're ready to come out. Because we don't know if there's religious aspects in, in the home or in their family, or you know, strong emotional things with, with the mom and dad. You just don't know. So I think timing. I think timing's up to the person. I'm a big believer in that. When I talk to athletes about coming out or not, very often their biggest fear is not their coach and it's not their team. It's their parents and their home community. Uh -huh. And, and, and I, 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 yeah, I, I think I that I think there's I, I a lot more struggle in the home than there is in the locker room. Yeah. That is so, it's so powerful. Uh, the family. And uh, what you're saying is so true. And even like to another degree, I coach skaters now and there's a bond. Um, and, and Frank Carroll, one of the famous figure skating coaches said this, we were just in a casual competition, uh, casual conversation. And he said, you, you will never beat the daughter mother relationship, no matter what you do. So, and it's true. And I've, I've learned that, that, 
whether it's a bond or trust or whatever that relationship has, has become, it's so strong that a culture, no one from the outside can really penetrate that. And I do believe that if parents are putting pressure on a kid or, or a young athlete, the, the skater or the athlete's going to feel that in a big way. You know, you talk about, um, you know, obviously being in the closet or being semi in the closet. And, and again, you have this, this female partner who you have no romantic feeling towards. But so often we hear about actors um, who end up falling in love on the set with one another. Did, did Ty ever have ever expressed to you fantasies of you two being a couple or express, you know, an interest in pursuing that maybe before she knew that that wasn't possible. Yeah. Well, you know, she, she didn't, she, not very blatantly. I think, you know, we were so young, we were put together. I was 10 and she was eight. So we, yeah, we, we were kid kids and um, we grew up together. and And I think, I think this a natural sort of feeling of a young, you know, especially in our teens, a teenage girl liking her female partner would have been natural. Did she fall in love? I don't think so. Did she love me? Yes. And I loved her, but there was not going to be in any anything further than that. And she even said one time we did a Q&A and she said, I knew when he was a little kid that there was something different about him. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what she meant by that, but I do know that she knew I was gay or different. And, and, you know, she was so cool about it. She never, ever, ever was disappointed or shocked or gave me any kind of lecturing ever, ever. And I always, you know, I, I appreciate that. Well, she, at one point I know in, in the little bit of, of the, of the film that you shared with me, she calls you her soulmate. And I think that's yeah. just so powerful. I mean, just given your, you, you've been professionally married for well not professionally but you've been married on the ice for 50 50 years that's a, that's yeah a we have been yeah we've gone through career together we've gone through personal things together you know her marriage and divorce and my relationship she, she's we've been through all all that stuff together and it, there's really nobody else that i can say has done that with me really to be honest at all one of the most interesting and and <laughs> kind of sad ending parts of of your career story is the 1980 Olympics. You had won five straight U.S. championships or four, yeah, five. I guess it was five, and yeah. you had won the world championships the year before. You were the team to beat, and then something happened. What happened? Well. I got a, a groin pull injury. Um, it was 1980 Olympics in Lake Placid. And I, I suffered a groin pull here in LA training before we left, about 10 days before we left. It wasn't really, it was, it was bad, but it was still skatable, I call it. And it was getting better. And then we left for Lake Placid and it was healing and we were training and skating. But when I, uh, we got there, we were there a couple of days, we did the, opening ceremonies it was cold outside and we had a practice that night afterwards at night and i re-injured it mm. and that's what did it and so and i was hemorrhaging from my side and my stomach and all bruised and that was two days before the 
event was were, was to start. And so they were doing everything. They, 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 I was like a racehorse. Get him out there. Whatever you got to do, get him out there. And because it was it was uh, it was it was you know Olympic Committee and U.S. Figure Skating. It was in, uh, Olympics were in the U.S. We were going head on with a Russian team that were out the year before because she had a baby, and it was it was a big deal. And yeah, so they were giving me everything they could, every drug that was legal to <laughs> pump in me, and they did. And then um, the last ditch effort was to give me a shot of xylocaine in my thigh. And I took the pain away, but it numbed me too much. I couldn't, like in the jumps, I couldn't pull my legs together and I couldn't, I was flopping all over the ice. And that's, that was the big scene that people saw on television. I tried at the warm up, but it just wasn't meant to be. And then we had to withdraw on the spot. So the competition has started. You're out there warming up, getting ready to compete in your second Olympic Games. Um, one of the favorites, and and you just had to pull out right then and there. Yeah, on live television. What, what was what was what were your emotions at the time? Well, I was in shock. I went in. I look at the footage now which is, you know, in, in the documentary, and I'm, I was just staring straight ahead like a deer in headlights or, or worse. And, yeah, I, I unbelievable. My, my, I think my brain shut down. Ty started to sob. And, uh, you know, I was like, uh, what is, is this for real? This is like a nightmare. And it was a nightmare. And then I, I had to decide at that point, you know, with, we withdrew. All that stuff was going on. And then what became real important to me was if I was going to ever be able to skate again. And I didn't know that answer. So uh, I was went into physical therapy. We were going to turn professional anyway. So we had joined the, we had agreement to join the ice capades um, that year in 1980 in the spring. So not an official agreement, but, but talk with them. And so the next thing was to get me ready to debut with the ice capades in April of 1980. And we did it. Uh, I was still in pain, but I, I did that, you know, it was about three months of physical therapy and I was so relieved I could skate again. Cause I didn't, you know, after all that time of skating and that thing at the Olympics happening, I didn't want it to end on that note. So we were able to start our professional career then oh god we went like another 20 years oh. and i can still talk about it <laughs> <laughs> and, by then, you know, and, and for for you know some listeners who don't realize that this was a time of the olympics where if you were a professional athlete you were not allowed to compete it's different today yeah you had to choose yeah, no no it was 75 dollars sid that turned you professional if you made 75 dollars $75. So different. I mean, it's now, so, what? It puts such, put such emotional and mental stress on the athletes to not be able to make money on their, in their sport if they want to compete. Yeah. And I think, well, and I think, um, you know, we had some sponsors and stuff that helped us get through to, to help pay the bills and, you know, and, and, and do all that. But um, we could not, we could not work, you know, quote unquote, we couldn't do any professional um, appearances or skating, um, performances like they can now, which I think is just great. Finally, figure skating caught up with a lot of the other sports, 
where they can do it. And um, I'm totally in agreement, and I support uh, athletes that, that can at least, well, specifically skating, if they can go out and Michelle Kwan made millions as an amateur. And I, I think that's great. Well, it's interesting, you know, with the, the NCAA now is being forced to allow college athletes to make some money. I think that's good. I mean, I don't know. I'm not that versed. It, it's football, right? It's it's all of college sports. So 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 for decades, college athletes have been able to make literally nothing off of the yeah. sport. And now, while corporations have made tons of money off of them, and now sure. they are in a few years going to be able to finally do that. So. It's, you know, it's, it's, their eyes have been opened the way that the IOC's eyes have been opened. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, pay the athlete. Why not? Um, well, anyhow, so, so give me, just give me a, just a, when and where can we look for your stage show and also the film? Well, the film is right now we're um, in our first year and we finished our first round of posts and we've been doing private screenings, but we're right now being entered into film festivals which, what are we, January, so 2020, so the season is kicking off pretty soon, so we have a lot of submissions in the film festival, so once we get in those, I'll let everybody know which ones, which ones we are, got accepted into, and then right now we're paralleling with distribution, you know, broadcast and streaming, so it's out there, it's being pitched, and we're, we're in that, so we're ramping up to see where it ends up at the moment. And, and where can people find information about where and when you are performing your, your, your stage show? Well, uh, uh, randygardner.com has some dates on there. We have no set dates right yet. I'm looking at a few in May, actually, for the play. And they, they'll be back east um, for the most part. I've done, I've done L.A. twice, and I did a nice run in, in Delaware Theater Company and then in Dallas. So I'm trying to, my dream would be to play New York. And I don't need, I, I don't necessarily have to do off-Broadway, even off-off-Broadway, but I'd like to play Manhattan or Brooklyn. So that, that's a big goal of mine. And I'm, I'm working on that right now. Come on out to Fire Island this summer. I love oh, Provincetown. That's on my list. Provincetown. Oh, great. My husband and I met in Provincetown and I grew up about a half hour from there. So it holds a special place in my heart. Uh, I love I, I, we go a lot, like almost every summer. Yeah, it's great. Randy, I end every interview with the same two questions. The first one you'll have an answer to. The second one you might not. Um, the first one is, give me an Olympian, other than Ty, <laughs> mm-hmm. who has inspired you. Greg Luganis is one. I really admired Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. And why? 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 I just thought he was a great athlete. Uh, I really thought he was a good athlete. And, and he was a nice man. And he, he was in our era. And he would come watch us train. We used to train in Santa Monica when we were doing our, our amateur days. And he would come watch us train. And I just think he was a really good athlete. And I think he worked hard. I like his story. Um, I'm not so sure about how Caitlin's doing now. But um that, that, and you think about all that that he was going through with with all that at that time too, pretty yeah. remarkable. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, Greg, I admire because he was young, and uh, he just stayed focused. And that that one time when he hit his head in the board, remember that one? Oh yeah. 
Yeah, that was amazing. And I just think he's just so, so focused, so good, so talented, and just so fit for, for what he, what he did. Uh, did you two know each other in, in the eighties? I mean, did, did, um, you were quietly out. He was quietly out and you were both in LA. Did you know each other? We did not know each other then. We met in the mid eighties. We had, we had turned pro. He had, uh, uh, well, he was still diving, you know, amateur. Yeah. And we had met, we started meeting at like publicity events and that was in the mid eighties. I did not know him before that though. I knew who he was, but I didn't. Did you know he was dead? Not, it wasn't confirmed. <laughs> I, I, I thought he was, and I, I had heard things. I didn't really know. Got it. Um, the other question I ask is it might be a little trickier. And so I'll start with, are you a fan of the Lord of the Rings? I may have seen part of one of the movies, I think. So the name of the podcast comes from a line in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the Lord of the Rings. And I always ask, and, uh, so we'll skip the second question. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Sorry about that. I, I, I wish I could help you out on that one. No, not at all. Not at all. I'm always curious to see who, who, who knows and who doesn't know. Well, Randy, I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and, and sharing your stories and keep sharing your stories. You know, kids today, even people my age, don't, you know, we need constant reminders of where we were in the 70s and 80s and how far our communities come. And, and your story touches so many different points. I really just appreciate you being out there and being willing to share. Uh, I appreciate you, us talking. And yeah, we'll keep going. Absolutely. You can follow Randy Gardner on Twitter at the Randy Gardner. He's also on Instagram at Go Figure Documentary. And again, be on the lookout for his documentary coming out. Check out his website when you can to see if his stage show is coming to a spot near you. And next week, I'm going to be joined by an old friend, Jim Bazinski, my Outsports co-founder. And we're going to kind of take a stroll through memory lane about some of the great Olympic LGBTQ stories that we've covered over the years at Outsports. So uh, check back then, and I hope you have a great week. Bye.